Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. all. At the end of this reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. Kindly respond by saying, thanks be to God. Our Bible reading for today is taken from John 11, from verses 17 to 44. John 11, from verses 17 to 44. I read, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is come into the world. After she had said this, She went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped with stripes of linen 
and a cloth around his straight face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, friends. Thank you for joining us again. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Um, particularly if you are just new, someone just invited you, or however else you, you know you came in, maybe you stumbled on us online. Thank you for joining us. And on Mixler as well, if you are listening via the um, audio link only, we thank you for joining us. And so what we've been doing over the last um, four, three, four sermons, now the fourth one today is really considering five of the I am statements of Jesus in the book of John. And so there are seven of them in the book of John. And if you want to catch up on any of the ones you've missed, um, there'll be a link below. You can just check our podcast app. Um, two of those we talked about in 2017 when we as a church looked through the whole book of John and we looked at um, Jesus' statement about himself in John 14 and John 15. And so what we've seen um, just going through this series and you know really considering these statements is that these I am statements tell us something about Jesus but they also tell us something about ourselves. So for instance, when Jesus says that he is the bread of life, he's really speaking to the fact that, you know, we hunger, we look for things to satisfy us and that only him can fulfill that hunger and that longing. When he says he's the light of the world, he's speaking to the darkness in our lives, the darkness around us and saying only him can give light to that darkness. When he says he's the door or the gates and the good shepherd he's saying that really the only care for our souls is not found in anything else or any other person but it's found only in him in fact he describes himself in matthew 11 he says he is gentle and lowly in heart but you see also jesus describes himself as the way the truth and the life and he's really speaking to how easy it is for us to get lost to wander around and it's only in him that we can actually find the safe path, the right destination. But Jesus also says in John chapter 15, he calls himself the true vine and he's speaking to the fruitlessness in our lives and he's saying that it's only in him that we can actually be as fruitful as God has designed us to be. But the last one that we're considering today, Jesus says he's the resurrection and the life. And there Jesus is really just speaking to our fear of death. Our fear of death. And when I say affair of death, I don't need to start giving examples or giving illustrations. Immediately I say that some of you right now, that visceral image comes back to you. You remember that loved one you've lost. You remember that person that you, know, that you can't see anymore. You remember that thing that you actually gave all of your energy to, your resources to, and now it's dead. I'm buried and it has a tombstone on it. And you know, one of the things death does to us is that it shows us just how weak we are, just how helpless we are, just how broken this world is. You know, I was speaking to myself and my wife, I was speaking to a member of our church family who had recently lost their father. And the person was saying just how hard it is to be able to move from having this person around all the time. You even sometimes want to pick up the phone and you suddenly remember this person is dead. Now you have to be talking about the person in past tense. Or maybe you're there and you're watching and yours was, you know, just going through the process of pregnancy, the expectancy, the joy. And then you get to the bed and the baby comes out 
and you find that it's a stillbirth. There's something about death that just reminds us how helpless, how broken we are. You may have all these possessions. You may have everything in your life going well for you. But death is the one thing where you can't actually negotiate or buy your way out of. I know in this passage, Jesus actually confronts death and he confronts our fear of death. And I think there are three things we see in this passage that actually help us to reaffirm the fact that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And so I titled this sermon, I am the resurrection and the life, just as Jesus Christ says he is. I'll be looking at it under three headings. First, we see a demonstration of faith. Second, we see a demonstration of love. But we also see a demonstration of hope. So a demonstration of faith, a demonstration of love, and a demonstration of hope. Now the first point, the demonstration of faith. And so really, chapter 11 begins, and I'm sure many of us actually even, you know, if you've been coming to church or you've been in Christian circles a while, you probably even know this story. It begins with Jesus, with us being told of a family of um, two sisters and a brother who are very close to Jesus. Their names are Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. In fact, they are so close to Jesus that we are told in verse 3 that Jesus, uh, that they love Jesus. In fact, when they are sending a message about their brother who is sick, they say, Jesus, the person you love, the one you love is sick. But this is not just a one-way love, friends. This is not how you and I will say, oh, I love Funke Akindelo, I love Ramzino, I love Bernard, whoever it is you love, and they don't really don't know you or don't love you back. What we actually see in this verse, we are told, in this passage, we are told in verse 5, is that Jesus also loved them as well. And so they send a message, an SOS message to Jesus, like basically, Jesus, help us, save us. This person you love is dying. But we are told that Jesus doesn't go when he's summoned. And so a whole series of events unpack. Eventually, Lazarus dies and Jesus goes there. He decides to go. And in verse 17, we're told that Jesus is entering Bethany, where they live, which is some miles away from where Jesus was. And Jesus arrives there and we're told that Lazarus has been dead and buried for four days. Now, the reason why this is important is because back in that time in their culture, you know, much like also in some parts of the country now, when a person dies, they immediately bury the person, whether you're old or you're young except in very exceptional cases. So they bury the person immediately. And so the, 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 the belief was that um, within three days, for three days, the spirit of that, person, of that dead person will be hovering around the area where the um, dead body has been lain with hopes of actually returning to the person's body. Okay, so maybe the person fainted and the spirit left or whatever. The spirit can still return. But once the three days elapses, like, man, like, goodbye. Like, this case is sealed and done for. And so John tells us this. He tells us that Lazarus has been buried for four days to help us actually understand in the mind of Mary and Martha how hopeless this case is. But Martha hears that Jesus is coming, and she doesn't wait for him to arrive. Like this is the equivalent of Jesus is at Moe or Ibafo. He hasn't even just gotten to beggar. And Mary leaves her house in Magodo and she runs all the way to wherever Jesus is. Those are, those are fictitious. But she runs to wherever Jesus is and she meets him on the way. 
And the reason why that is really important is not just because Mary had visitors. We are told in verses 18 to 19, they must have been some very popular folk. That people were actually trooping in and coming to see them and to commiserate with them and to mourn with them. And so you can just imagine that you have guests who have come to demonstrate love for you. And you actually just stand up and leave. That's not what is actually staggering and astonishing about this. It's actually because Jesus, the person that they have asked for help and didn't show up when he was meant to show up, is actually now coming and Martha still goes and meets Jesus. If that doesn't shock you, just think about it like this. You, you know, many times in Nigeria, it's changing now, but many times in Nigeria, when a house is burning, what do you do? You call the fire service and you say, please, please come, come and help us, come and help us, come and save this building. But oftentimes what happens is that they get there when the building has come and, and when the building has finished burning. And back in the day, what people would do is that when they arrive there, people start stoning them, people start insulting them, like you useless people. When we needed you, you didn't show up. And that's kind of what is going on here. It's like hugging a doctor who has refused to save the life of your child. And Martha goes out and she still goes and welcomes Jesus. And you think that's all Martha would have done. Because actually, if that was all Martha did, it would still be sufficient to say, okay, no hard feelings. I don't know why you did what you did. No hard feelings. We are still cool. But Martha doesn't stop there. She does something else. In the face of her deep suffering, in the face of her emotions, in the face of how she's feeling, in verses 21 22, we are told Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And friends, we see that that is a great demonstration of faith. It's not the kind of faith in the way that we are often taught and told around in our city where many people tell us that to have faith in God is actually to deny your circumstances. It is to say, I am blessed and highly favored when everything about you is actually cursed and there's no favor at all. It is not saying, as we're often told, you know, somebody is weak and they say, no, I'm strong. Or somebody wants to ask for prayer requests and they say, my enemy is in the hospital. When it's actually they who, them who are on the life support and needing help. That's not the kind of faith we find. In fact, we see two things here that are often a component of biblical faith. We see Martha lamenting and Martha also expressing trust in Jesus. She laments, but yet she trusts in Christ. Look at verse 21. Martha comes to Jesus and says, Lord. And when she's saying this, this is not a patronizing respect. This is not the way some of us would say, you know, to each other, hey, chairman, even when there's nothing chair about the man. This is Martha saying, like, I deeply respect and revere you even in this suffering. It comes from a place of deep wound and brokenness. And she says to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And she's, she's lamenting before Jesus. She's saying basically to Jesus, like, Jesus, you messed me up, man. Jesus, I trusted you. Jesus, I depended on you. Jesus, we're expecting you. Jesus, we loved you. But you weren't here. And I can just imagine Martha before Christ, 
with her makeup undone, with, with herself in, in her black robes, mourning and crying her eyes out and tears just streaming down her face and her makeup just, her face just really messed up. And she's saying to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, he would not have died. Well, the crazy thing is in verse 22, she says to Jesus, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And she doesn't say that. Some of us might think, oh, she says that because she knows that Jesus is actually going to raise Lazarus back to life. But what we see is that she doesn't actually know that. Because in verse 38 to 39, when Jesus is about to actually perform the miracle, she says, no, 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 don't even do it. She wasn't saying that because she was expecting something. She was saying that because she actually trusted in Christ. I don't know why you did what you did, but I still love you. I still care about you. I still believe in you. And friends, there are many of you now listening, many of us listening and watching this. We are disappointed with God. Maybe yours wasn't the death of a loved one like Mary and Martha. You prayed and fasted. You, you trusted God for something and God did not deliver. Maybe it was a, a relative on a on lifeline and you were crying out to God and you enlisted brothers and sisters and you sent out prayer requests to different places and you were banging on the gates of heaven. And we're told in verse 5, that's probably what Jesus did. He heard and he stayed. Maybe yours was an appeal for healing from an illness or a sickness or pain. And, and, and God wasn't listening. Or it seemed like God wasn't listening. And what the people around you have said is, hold it together, be strong. But you're not strong. You're disappointed with God. And friends, can I say that part of the reasons why we don't, we don't lament to God, we don't pour out our, 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 our disappointment to God is because somehow deep down inside of us, we think that God cannot take it. We think that God is, in, is insecure and he needs us to constantly affirm how great and how powerful he is. Even when things around us seem to be going helter-skelter, when things around us are falling apart like Humpty Dumpty, everything is broken into pieces. But what we actually see in this passage is a God who is secure enough to hear our lament, to hear our brokenness, to receive it from us. In verse 23, Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. He's taking the lament from Martha. He's receiving it. And friends, can I say, all over the Bible, we see our God receiving lament from his people. In fact, the story of Job exists for this one reason, to show us how it is that we can actually cry out to God when things around us are not going as well as they should. The psalm is full of songs of lament, people pouring out their heart to God and saying, God, you messed me up, man. God, you have disappointed me. God, I trusted in you and you didn't deliver. In fact, the psalmist has the audacity in Psalm 13 to cry out, How long, O God? The prophets, the same thing. Jeremiah 
had a ministry of about, of about 40 years and everything basically wasn't working out. And in chapter 20, he says to God in verse 7, he says, God, you have deceived me. Can you imagine pouring out your heart to God like that? God, you have deceived me. God, things are not going the way you said they would. And he's banging on the gates of heaven. And he actually even goes on to write a whole book of lament to God, appropriately called Lamentations. And he's weeping and groaning there before God. Friends, our God is secure enough to take this on. And he says to Martha, and he's saying to you even this morning, your brother will rise again. I can take it. And when Martha hears that, she's thinking Jesus is talking about the day of resurrection. She's thinking Jesus is talking about the end when everybody will actually be raised to life. All those who trusted in Christ. But Jesus responds in verse 25 to 26. And he says essentially, the resurrection is not a day or an event. It is a person. I am the resurrection and the life. Look at it, verse 25 to 36. It says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And Martha says, I believe. And she runs back and tells her sister the same thing. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming to meet us. And Mary also stands up from wherever she is and she goes out to meet Jesus. Presumably, Jesus was resting from the long travel that they'd had and he was staying somewhere to rest. And so both of them were going and coming. And so Mary, Martha departs and Mary goes to meet Jesus. But Mary is so much of an emotional wreck that she just falls down before Christ and is weeping and says, Lord, if you had been here, the exact same thing Martha says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And she just cries her out, her eyes out there before Christ. And you might be thinking like, oh, so probably Mary didn't believe in Christ because, you know, Martha said, after Martha had said that, Martha says, even now I still believe you. But Mary doesn't say that. But that's the wrong answer because Mary didn't need to say that. How do I know? She came to Jesus. That's the answer. She came to Jesus. She heard Jesus was coming and she comes and falls down at his feet and came crying out to Jesus and expressing her disappointment. Friends, this is what it means to actually have faith in God sometimes. It is acknowledging where things have gone wrong. It is acknowledging the disappointment that you have felt. But it's also saying to God, I believe in you, regardless of how things have turned out. It is crying, it is weeping, it is expressing your heart out to God and saying, even in this circumstance, God, you are still sovereign. And you see, the difference between lamenting and complaining is that even though both of them are avenues to process our wrong, or our hurt rather, one turns away from God and is, and is talking to other people and to other things. And the other actually turns to God and is saying, God, I'm lamenting, I'm pouring out my heart to you. And friends, if I can just stay here, part of the reasons why this is hard for us to do as a culture and as a people is because lamenting means we are acknowledging our inadequacies, our insufficiency to actually help ourselves and change our circumstances. 
It is saying that we're admitting our brokenness. It is saying we're admitting our anger. It is saying we're admitting our hurt. And we don't like to feel like that. We don't like to feel broken. We don't like to feel like we don't have control. But yet it's a demonstration of faith because it says, this thing has happened to me. This thing I don't have any control over. But God, you have control over it. I don't know why it turned out that way. But God, you have control over it. And so we can come to God, friends. You can come to God and pour out your heart to him. And cry out to him like the psalmist does in Psalm 51. He says, let these bones that you have broken rejoice. God, I'm mourning before you, Lord. And maybe there are some of you here who actually need to fix an appointment with God. You've turned away. God has disappointed you. You feel disappointed with God. You've cried out. You've, you've come before him. You've, you've agonized and you asked him for something and he didn't deliver. And what you just done is, what you just did was to get up and walk away and go and complain and mourn to someone else. But friends, God wants to hear your cry. God wants to receive your lament. God wants you to do this because it demonstrates a faith in him. And that leads me to my second point. We see also a demonstration of love. In fact, actually, in this story, we see Jesus demonstrating his love in three ways. First, Jesus demonstrates his love by denying their request. You look at verses 5 to 6. So we're told in verse 3 that they told him, Jesus, the person you love is sick. And in verse 5, we're told, Now Jesus loved Martha and, his, and her sister, Mary and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And so what we see is that because Jesus loved them, Jesus denied their requests. And for some of us, that is just insane. Like, how can you say you love me and not give me what I want? Maybe this story will help. So um, our son turned two in January, which means that he's, he has finished taking virtually all of his childhood immunizations until he's about five and that also means that last year was a very injection-full year for us, for him particularly as a family. And so we had to pay very frequent trips to the um, hospital for him to be immunized, uh, to take MMR, the uh, measles and rubella vaccine, chickenpox vaccine, and a couple other vaccines. And every time we're going to the hospital, the dude knew that something was up. Like, we'd just be extra nice, we'd be kind, we'd carry him in the car, and then we get to the doctor who is meant to treat him. And once he sees that thing, once he sees the syringe, the guy just, the, the whole hospital just comes crumbling down. The guy is shouting at the top of his lungs, he's crying out, Mommy, Daddy, please, please, please. And can I tell you that some of those, some of those experiences were deeply agonizing experiences. Because if it were up to me, I would have, no, don't, don't give him again. Don't give him the injection. But even as someone who is not a doctor, who is not medically trained, I knew that there was something good about the pain that guy was receiving. And sometimes, friends, that is how, even though we can't see it, and I'm, and I'm not trying to say that that is always the explanation for every pain you've experienced in your life, but sometimes, friends, because Jesus loves us, he does not give us what we want. 
And that's what we find here. And so someone has said that if you knew all the things God knows, you would do all the things God does. But friends, because we don't know all the things God knows, we have to trust him and know that he loves us and he wants the best for us. And so we see Jesus demonstrating his love for these people by denying their requests. But you see, we also see Jesus demonstrating his love for them by identifying with their pain. And so we see in verses, verses 31 to 33, basically like Mary's an emotional, like she's, she's, just, she's just all over the place. She's weeping and she's wailing and she's crying her eyes out. But Jesus doesn't just stand there. Jesus doesn't just stand there, stoic, you know, or saying all the Christian platitudes that we say, oh, Mary, it is well with you. Mary, uh, I'm really sorry about this, but God is in control. No, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus knows, even though Jesus knows what's happening next, Jesus still doesn't say all of those things. But instead, in verses 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, we're told, Jesus wept. And can I beg you not to go over that too quickly? If you're a Christian, can, can you just pray and ask the Lord to make that real to you? Because we find in those verses a deep truth. Just think about it. Jesus wept. Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, the Sovereign King. Jesus, who is actually, in a few seconds, going to bring this dead person back to life. Jesus is weeping. And friends, that is so profound. That is so profound. Jesus is bawling his eyes out. He's not crying manly tears right now. He's not, he's not doing the way we guys do when we're trying to show our, um, show our emotions, but still try to remain, you know, like a guy. You know, and so you, if you see guys talking at funerals, you know, they, there's a, there's a gentle, gentle manly way of crying that, you know, you, don't, you still remain dignified. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus is crying, he's wailing. Jesus is crying his eyes out. His eyes are red, his throat, he's sore. Everything about him is just on the edge right now. He's in deep emotional distress. He's identifying with their pain. How do I know this? Because verse 33 says, he was deeply moved and troubled in spirit. And the idea here in the original language is something that is happening deep within your core that is actually making you a wreck at the moment. And that's what Jesus is feeling. He's, he loves these people so much that their pain has become his pain. He can't bear to see Mary and Martha and all these people weeping like this. He's going through it with them. My friends, can I tell you that when, as a child of God, regardless of what you have experienced, regardless of how deep and hurtful and terrible it was, Jesus weeps with you. Jesus felt your pain. Your sorrow becomes his sorrow. Your pain becomes his pain. And that is what happens when we are deeply united and connected to Christ. He weeps with us. He identifies with us in our sorrows. 
And for some of you, this is really strange because the Jesus you know is Jesus who is always smiling, Jesus who is always, everything is cool, calm, and collected, Jesus who is dignified, Jesus who actually never comes down to identify with the lowly people who are crying out to him. But this is not the Jesus we see in this passage. This is not the Jesus that we are presented to here. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 53, we are told that Jesus is the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Can I tell you, friends, that Jesus demonstrates his love, not just to Martha and Mary, but to each and every one of us in the deepest sense of emotional um, disappointment that we feel. Jesus identifies with our pain. But lastly, we see Jesus also demonstrating his love by giving them better than what they requested. And so Jesus is moved to see the life of Lazarus restored. And so he goes with Mary and he goes with all these other people. He says, let me see where they buried him. And he asks, let this stone be removed. But Martha comes to Jesus with a very good reason not to have the stone removed. She says, Lazarus has been dead and buried four days. So not only has his spirit departed, but he's gone very far. Like we can't get a hold of him. But also like his body is decomposing. There were no ACs. This wasn't winter. This was humid, hot Israel, much like the temperature would have in certain parts of northern Nigeria right now. And so it meant that the body was decomposing fast. And some of us are like that. When Jesus comes to us, he identifies with our pain and he says, I want to intervene. We have all these good reasons for Jesus not to intervene. We have all these reasons why Jesus shouldn't disturb us so Jesus shouldn't disturb the status quo like God let's just leave let's just leave this thing we want Jesus to move in our lives except when he makes us feel uncomfortable we want Jesus to intervene in that darkness except when it becomes a personal discomfort for us we want Jesus to change that person but on our own schedule and in our own time and in our own way but Jesus says to Martha if you believe you will see the glory of God And Jesus basically says, like, look, guys, I'm not a servant to be controlled on your own timeline. I am a king who does things at his own behest and at his own time. And we see here Jesus, who is a king of love, who delights in working in his own schedule. In verse 40, he says to Martha, and he says also to us, he says, Do I, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so Jesus prays to Lazarus. I'm to God, sorry. He prays to God, his father, and he says, Lazarus, come out. And friends, when Jesus says, come out, like even if you've been dead for four days, even if your body has been decomposing for four days, even if everything is falling apart, friends, you have to come out whole and intact. And as has often been said, you know, if Jesus didn't say Lazarus, all the dead bodies will have risen, all the dead bodies will have come out. So Lazarus came back to life. And they have a party in chapter 12. And we see Jesus showing his love for them by giving them better than what they requested. They wanted a healing in verse 3. But Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm going to deny that request so that I can give you something better. I'm not going to give you a healing. I'm going to give you a resurrection. In verse 3, they wanted private show of sympathy and support. But Jesus says, no, I'm going to deny that request. I'm going to give you something better. I'm not going to give you a private show of sympathy and support. I'm going to give you a public show of affirmation and love. 
And Jesus does even better than what they imagined and what they requested. And friends, this same Jesus is alive. He's well, even right now. He works even in our own life. And can I just say like, oh yeah, some of you might be thinking, eh, but Jesus wasn't going around raising the dead. And that's true. Because for instance, Jesus' Jesus's friend, cousin, John the Baptist, Jesus didn't rescue him from death. Jesus' father died. We're not told Jesus resurrected him back. And so what we see here is a God who does not just do what we want, but a God who works on his own timeline, but a God who is powerful as well, a God who demonstrates his love by giving us better than what we requested. And friends, can I say to you, I do not know what that death thing is for you. Maybe it's a friend Maybe it's a thing you've given your whole heart and your whole life to. But Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And when he says that, he's saying that better than anything this thing can give you, I give you life. I am able to bring back what is dead and give it new life. And so Jesus, friends, is not just a king who comes from above, floating around and carrying out his own wishes in this his own callous way, but Jesus is actually a king who demonstrates his love by identifying with us in our pain, always, sometimes by denying our requests so that he can give us something better, but he's always showing us his love. And friends, Jesus demonstrates this great love that he has for us and for the world by resurrecting Lazarus to, uh, to life and as a show and as a sign of what he can do with those who trust in him and those who believe in him. And that takes me to my last point, a demonstration of hope, a demonstration of hope. So we think that the story has, has, has really ended because now Lazarus is back to life and, you know, there's a party in an after party, really, like they deserved an after party in chapter 12 with Lazarus and Mary and Martha were told that people actually came to see like, wow, this was a guy that was dead and now he's back to life. But the story doesn't end there because the Holy Spirit inspired John to actually make this the very last miracle recorded in the book of John as a sign of something. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, he's saying that death is not our biggest problem. Physical death is not our biggest problem. The fact that people actually fall down and die or the fact that our loved ones disappear someday and we never see them again is not the biggest problem you have, friends. The biggest problem you have, I have, is that we are spiritually dead in our own sins and trespasses, separated from God. Just like Lazarus locked in that tomb, friends, Unless God gives us life, unless God brings us back to life, we are dead and buried and gone, separated eternally from him. But Jesus actually, because of the great love he has for us, performs that miracle as a sign of what he can do, not just in our own life, but what he will do by giving up his own life for us. And so in a very beautiful scene in John chapter 18, Jesus is actually betrayed by his friends and led to the cross. And John actually, to show us just the significance of what it means that Jesus is the I am, in verse 5 he records, 
that when the soldiers and those who, are, who, who came to capture him came into the garden of, of Gethsemane to lead Jesus away, they asked the question, who is Jesus of Nazareth? And Jesus replies, I am. And Jesus doesn't just say that like, oh, I am Jesus of Nazareth that you're looking for. Jesus says that to, to say that I am God. I am the one who cannot die, but who will now die so that dead people will be able to come back to life. I am the one who is going to give my life so that those who trust in me will be resurrected and have eternal life. And friends, that is the same hope that Jesus offers to you, to those of us who trust him and to those of us who believe in him. A writer named Philip Yancey in a book called Disappointment with God says, Even the greatest of miracles, even people coming back to life, do not resolve the problems of this earth. All people who find physical healing eventually die. We need more than a miracle. We need a new heaven and a new earth. And until we have those, friends, unfairness will not disappear. And what Philippians is getting at is that the, the main problem we have is not just for things to go well. The main problem we have is not just for our loved ones to be around. The main problem we have is not just for us to die. The main problem that we have is that we are spiritually dead and we need something divine to give us new life. And friends, it's on the cross that Jesus demonstrates his love, his power, his ability to bring back to life dead folk like you and I. You see, the cross is not just something incidental to our faith. It's the ground of our faith. It's the assurance. It is the hope, the certainty that we have that even though our loved ones may pass away, even though God may sometimes deny our request, even though sometimes God doesn't give us better than we think that we deserve, friends, we know ultimately that God loves us because Jesus Christ took on our own punishment on himself. Jesus Christ took on our own burdens on himself and he became death so that we can have the life that he alone can give. And so friends, because Jesus has died, we have hope not only of being resurrected in this world, like 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, that if it is only in this life that we have hope, we have all men most miserable. No, that is not the hope that Jesus gives us. He gives us something better. No wonder Jesus says, when he was speaking to Martha in verses 25 to 26 of John 11, he says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. <laughs> and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And he asks, do you believe this? And friends, that's the question before you today. Do you believe this? Do you believe in this Jesus, the resurrection and the life? Or are you looking to other things to actually give you life? Do you demonstrate your faith in this Christ by actually coming forward to him even when things are broken and it seems like all of life is out of shape and everything is falling apart? Do you demonstrate your faith by crying out to him and saying, God, I do not understand, but I know because you died on the cross, you love me and you are going to make something out of this. Do you believe this? Jesus asked, do you see the love of Jesus Christ demonstrated for you by giving up himself on the cross for you. Do you believe this, Jesus asks? Do you see the demonstration of hope that Jesus actually gives to all who believe him to say that you will not only live in this life, but you will live in the next life and live eternally? Do you believe this? 
maybe you're a non-Christian here, you're watching this, can I just appeal to you that Jesus is giving you this offer of life and he's saying, come to me. If you believe in me, you will never die and even if you die, you will live forever. Can I ask you, can I beg you to come to Jesus? If you want to know that, if you want to know more about that, if you want to do that, there will be phone numbers at, at, at the bottom of the screen. Can I ask you, just send a message and ask, I'd like to talk to someone, I want to learn more about Christ, I want to know what it means to follow Christ. But there are some of us here, we actually just need to ask God for forgiveness and say, God, yes, things have been out of shape, I felt disappointed by you. But I haven't been lamenting before you. I've been turning away to other things and be pouring out my heart to other things. Can I ask you to just come to this Christ and to pour out your heart to this Christ and to lament and weep before God and say, God, I don't know why this has happened. I don't know why this brokenness has happened, but I still believe in you. I still trust you. Can we just bow down our heads in prayer and just begin to ask God? In a moment we are going to pray and I'm going to pray for I do feel led to pray for two sets of people first we are going to pray for those who still believe who are trusting in God for a miracle maybe it's a loved one who is sick maybe it's something that you are trusting God to give new life and you are saying Jesus just as you resurrected Lazarus to life I still believe that you can give this person or this thing new life so we're going to pray for that. But we're also going to pray for those of us who feel who have felt betrayed and disappointed with God and feel like, God, I've, 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 done, I've, I've, I've cried out to you, I've poured out my heart to you, and God, you let me down. And maybe because of that, your, your relationship with God is actually now out of shape and out of sync, and you actually want me to pray for you for that relationship to be restored, or pray with you, rather, for that relationship to be restored. So we're going to pray for those two sets of people. But can I just ask everyone, wherever you are right now, to just pour out your heart to God, the resurrection and the life. To so just cry out to this Jesus who gives his life for us, for you and for me. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church Love Jesus Love people Love Lagos